So Nzinga, as I mentioned, she is the Chief Diversity Inclusion Officer for the Hawks. She's responsible for developing and embedding diversity and inclusion throughout the whole organization. She's the first person to hold this kind of, of role in the whole NBA. Is it just the NBA? Is it maybe the whole professional sports scene? Because I don't think I've ever seen this in the NFL or any place else. Yeah, it's in all professional sports teams. Not leagues, but teams. teams. <laughs> she's also the member of the executive committee and provides guidance to the leadership team so that they can engender inclusivity and equality throughout the organization. Now, that's uh, just a taste of it, but before she became the C, uh, Chief Inclusion Officer with the Hawks, she served as a Senior Vice President, Diversity Inclusion Officer at Edelman, the world's largest and most profitable public relations company, but I like this. She uh, also worked in Human Resources for Essence Magazine, the Yankees. Hey. Any Yankees fans out there? <laughs> <laughs> and the National Football League. I could go on and on, but I guess we don't have a lot of time to do that. Okay. Uh, feel like I mentioned him a little, just a couple of minutes ago. I feel like I actually known him forever, just from TV. Apparently. <laughs> but uh, same old. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So he spent 19 years in the NBA. There are not too many players that can say they spent 19 years in the NBA. He is a seven-time All-Star and a two-time college NBA college champion with Duke. He is, uh, oh, there's a Duke out there. This is really an interesting thing. Even when you just got into the league, you started your own company, Kill Ventures. It's a private company in which he has successfully invested in real estate. So this is like early on. You're already thinking about after basketball and you're just getting started. That's really cool. And of course, you've seen him on numerous TV, NBA TV shows, Pierce, TNT, NBA TV. But I think the most important one, maybe the most significant one, he is the husband of Tamia. <laughs> <laughs> Seven-time Grammy nominated singer <laughs> and the father of two. Yes. So, I, I overachieved. <laughs> <laughs> you did, they did leave out one other significant thing. He was the guy that threw the inbound pass to Kristen Leitner in 1992, <laughs> beating Kentucky, one of the most historical games in college basketball history. I thought they should probably mention that too. I agree. Okay, so let me start with you, Graham, because we just went through, I literally went through about 27 years and just encapsulated but when you were at Duke with high top fade, getting ready to throw that pass, did you ever imagine or dream that you would actually be an owner in the NBA at that point? Well, well, first of all, when I was at Duke, yes, I had a high time fade. And uh, <laughs> it certainly is uh, not wise to be too trendy when you're young because you live to regret it when you're a little bit older. Because my fade was, it was a high top, but it was a little off balance. Anyway. I um, take it right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you know, I, I think back then, though, I mean, I, I I had no idea. Um, I wasn't even sure that the NBA was a possibility. And, um, you know, I was sort of in the moment, had a great time at Duke. It was a great experience playing for Coach K and my teammates and, uh, you know, going for and pursuing championships at that time. But, you know, 
it was a lot different back then than it is now. The NBA wasn't sort of in your face and it wasn't as accessible. It was just a different time. College basketball was really big. And so, um, you know, so being an NBA athlete wasn't necessarily on my radar. Uh, and, and definitely the idea or the concept of being an owner of an NBA franchise uh, was, was not on my, my radar. And so, uh, now, in saying that, my, my father, um, maybe sort of in, directly or indirectly, planted a seed. My dad played in the NFL, played back in the 70s and 80s, uh, has worked in professional sports really since the early 80s uh, with the Browns, Cleveland Browns, with the Baltimore Orioles, and for the last 20 plus years uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, he tried unsuccessfully um, during the early 90s um, and even the late 80s to try and put together a group and buy uh, a sports franchise. Tried with the New England Patriots in the 80s, the Bullets in basketball in the early 90s, uh, and then the Cleveland Browns when they left and then the NFL awarded them uh, a, a franchise. So I do think that experience and sort of living through him uh, planted the seed of possibility at a very young age. Um, but in 92, with the hot top fade, no, I was not thinking about, I was just thinking about completing the pass and making sure I, I stayed eligible for the next semester. Yeah, and Zynga, I should mention that she is a proud graduate of Spelman College. The president of Spelman College is in the room, Mary Schmidt Campbell. But we just talked about you taking this position, the first of its kind in, in, in professional sport. Uh, when you were brought that opportunity, uh, what were your first impressions of what did you want to do with it? Well, it was a very unique situation, Brent, because at the time, the Atlanta Hawks were facing a public-facing racial crisis. And so I was a part of Edelman's organization. I was spearheading diversity and inclusion there. And I got a phone call from Alston and Bird, who happened to be one of Edelman's largest clients at the time. And they said, uh, do you have time to come to our office? We'd like you to meet with someone who we think is a potential crisis client for you. And so I ended up meeting with Steve Conan, who's the CEO of the Atlanta Hawks, and Scott Wilkinson, the general counsel. And I like to call this story turning a tragedy into a triumph. Because at the time, they were, they were facing really the toughest thing that they've ever faced in franchise history. They became aware that their controlling owner and their general manager um, had both been involved in trading emails regarding the African-American fan base, disparaging fans, etc. And it all culminated in a board call in which uh, the, the general manager at the time had said some disparaging things about a potential recruit to the team who was of African descent. And so the question for me was, can you help us? We think this is going to become public. Um, we have to restore our reputation in this city. We are in the city too busy to hate. This is the home of Dr. King, and we just don't know what to do. And so I joined Steve and Scott in the executive committee as a crisis counselor to help them out of this, this awful travesty. And so while I was doing the work, I began to realize and recognize that diversity and inclusion could really be leveraged as um, part of their business moving forward and really be managed in a sustainable way 
um, if executed properly. And so one of my suggestions to the CEO was that he implement a CDIO role. I was not thinking about myself at the time, but I just recognized that this was low-hanging fruit and there was really an opportunity to create something for the MBA. The MBA had just been through this with uh, Donald Sterling and the LA Clippers two months prior to the Hawks going through it. And so I wondered, is this a trend in the MBA? What can we do to fix it? And so when I made that recommendation, they ended up coming back and said, we're gonna hire a CDIO. And then after some you know, long prayer sessions and talking with some mentors and really thinking about what the opportunity was, I, I told Steve I'm gonna raise my hand and apply for that job. And he said, well, why would you leave your stable position at Elvin? You're doing well, you're helping us in the middle of a crisis. Why would you do that? And I said, because there's nothing but upside. We're at the lowest point that we can possibly be, and everything from here will be a win. And I want to be a part of that winning team. So that was my, my reason for joining the team and starting getting involved in this work at the NBA League level. That's true. Um, the NBA is really interesting because it's one of the leagues, first of all, it's on the uprise. Numbers are going through the roof. But it's also a league that has been, I think, at the forefront of ownership. You had Bob Johnson, of course you had uh, Michael Jordan, you had you. But they've also been at the forefront of uh, having uh, underrepresented minorities, blacks, uh, go into you know, coaching, head coaching positions, general management positions. So it seems like the league is really good at leading uh, some social change. When it comes to diversity and inclusiveness, what can other leagues and maybe even outside of sports, other industries learn from some of the things that you guys have seen and what's going on in the NBA? Well, you know, I do agree. I think as a professional sports league, um, and I'm not, let me qualify this answer by saying I'm not a huge follower of other sports. I'm all in the NBA. So, but at least from my vantage point, um, we are very progressive. And, um, you know, it starts with our leadership. It starts with uh, former Commissioner David Stern, uh, and our current Commissioner Adam Silver. Uh, if you look in the league offices, I think it, it really reflects diversity. You know, our Deputy Commissioner uh, is a man of color. Kathy Behrens is um, one of the, the top league executives there and has a, a tremendous role and responsibility. Uh, so I, I do feel that it, it starts at the top. And, you know, much like I feel our organization in Atlanta, um, you know, we, we strive to reflect what Atlanta is. And Atlanta, as we all know, is very diverse. And, and I, think, I think the league does that as well. You know, we have a very diverse customer base. We have a diverse um, diversity in terms of players. And we have 25% of the players opening night this year were born outside of the continental US. And so, and that speaks a little bit to the, to the game becoming a global brand. But, um, you know, I, I think the game of basketball in general, it, it really just kind of speaks diversity to me. And, and what I mean by that, I don't know if anybody here has played basketball. Anybody just show of hands, play high school, pick up <laughs> basketball. You know, you, you go to the park and, and um, which I don't think people do as much anymore. But when I was younger, you'd go to the park to play basketball. And there might be two teams of five playing and 20 people on the sidelines waiting to play. And as a captain who might have the next game to play the winner, 
you're going to pick the best four players to play with you so you can win. The object is to win. The object is to be successful. And I don't care if they're black, white, brown, you know, gay, straight. If they can help you win, I don't care if it's my best friend. If he's not good enough, I'm not picking him. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I just feel, I don't know, maybe that's a bit of a stretch, but I feel like that spirit sort of exists in our sport. It's, you know, it's one of the closest things to a meritocracy in that, you know, it's about talent. And, and I really do believe that, that you know, and I, I can't speak to the past, I can only speak now to the present, but I do feel that our leadership gets that and understands that. And that's, that's sort of the, the idea of, of our sport, of, of winning, of competing, and being successful. So as a league, as a, as a franchise, you know, we wanna, we wanna be successful. We wanna be the best Atlanta Hawks organization that we can be. And it's almost kinda like, it's like saying, okay, with the Hawks, we're only going to hire people who live within two miles of the arena downtown. I mean, that, that would be foolish, you know? I mean, you want to hire the best. I don't care where they're from. And so I think that, that sort of mindset, I'm proud. Not that, you know, we don't have room for improvement, but I do feel like we, uh, with the leadership of, of Zing um, and, and Tony Ressler and Steve Coonan, and collectively, that you know we're leading the way, not just in the NBA but in professional sports, and, uh, and that's something that we're very, very extremely proud of. Especially considering what had happened a few years ago, prior to things arrived. I also think that uh, we have pulled this function out of HR, where diversity traditionally lies, and have done something very unique, which is to make it report into the C-suite reporting directly to the CEO. And I think when business functions report to the CEO and have um, you know, the responsibility of interacting across the board in the organization and really helping to drive revenue and helping to drive marketing decisions and things beyond administrative tasks, that's when the organization really takes the work seriously. And that's when people in the organization start to realize that this is something that's real. This is something that is championed from the very top, as Grant just said. Um, and then also, I just remember when Grant became part of the ownership team, um, he and I had several conversations about the work that was going to get done and, and you know, what our vision, what our long-term goals in this space were. And having him on the ownership team as a voice piece for this work was very important. I don't think a lot of sports organizations had people um, either in the C-suite or on the ownership level championing this work and being a voice piece to help their colleagues understand how this impacts business, how this impacts corporate culture, how it impacts community in the city, and, and just overall reputation. And so having someone like Grant at his level to understand this work, I mean, his mother, I've, I've met her several times, Janet Hill, was uh, a corporate uh, executive in diversity for sports organizations before anybody knew what that meant. She was um, working at the C-suite level with the Dallas Cowboys and helping shape that organization from a recruitment perspective and figuring out how they bring in top talent um, in that organization. And so because he had a, an understanding and awareness of the function, and because he had that level within the ownership team, it was easier for me and became um, very helpful in order to get this stuff moving forward. And I'll just add, piggyback on, on that. Um, you know, I, I do think like Adam Silver, I think really wants former players involved. Um, you know, and, and obviously a majority of, of players in the NBA are, are of color, but 
just to have that perspective on the ownership level. There's a certain perspective, whether it's the rules committee, competition committee, um, um, all that sort of that role encompasses as an owner. To bring that perspective and understanding, um, he's been really bullish on that. And, and the great thing is the amount of money that a lot of these guys are, are, are currently making and guys like LeBron James has, has talked about wanting to own a team at some point. Uh, I think you'll see more and more uh, people of color in ownership positions, whether as a majority partner or, or vice chairman or minority partner, whatever, whatever role that might be. And you don't see that in other sports. You don't see that in football. Um, you know, there's very few. Um, I don't want to say there's none, but um, so I think that's important. It's got to start at the top of the league. It's got to start at the top of the organization, as you said, for, the, for, for it to be credible with it. And, um, you know, Zing is, uh, she's involved in all aspects of our business in every department. And, um, you know, holds us all accountable, holds me accountable. Actually, as we walked in, she said, you're not going to go in there with your beard looking like that today, are you? I didn't go to my barber today, I went afterwards. So, um, so yeah, she holds me accountable too, in more ways than one. But we need that, we need that, and uh, we, we need her, her intellect, we need her, um, her understanding, her ability to connect with folks, and um, you know, we just want to keep pushing out with her. Brings the, the perfect question around impact. How does this, these initiatives, how does inclusiveness, how does equality, how does that impact the Braves, excuse me, the Hawks business? Yeah, I'm not talking about the Braves. No, the Hawks. How does that impact the actual business of the Hawks? You know, I think it impacts our business in many ways. Um, and I'll just give you an example. I mean, we, we think about inclusion from a variety of perspectives. I think nine times out of 10, when we're having a conversation about diversity and inclusion, people think we're talking about race. Sometimes gender and now starting to talk about sexual orientation, but we're talking about a lot of different things. Um, we're talking about you know, families that may have some type of sensory need, like autism or PTSD, and figuring out ways to include them into our arena experience. We had just opened up um, a reimagined arena, State Farm Arena, as you all know, which just, the renovation was just finished. And so part of that is to include a sensory inclusion room for families that have this need, right? So that if your child happens to have autism and maybe your other children don't, you can still come to the game and have a great experience and be in the building. And so when you think about how that impacts business, well, that now opens up doors for people that have traditionally stayed away from sports. We think about the LGBTQ community, which is really low-hanging fruit in the Atlanta community. We're now the third largest city for people that are openly out to reside here. Um, we have the third largest pride in the nation. We're the only sports organization in Atlanta to march in pride. And we've been doing it for four consecutive years and we'll continue and we'll build upon that because the LGBTQ community has said to us, we need to know that there's a sports team that embraces us. And we will be loyal fans, and we will bring business, and we will engage in the ways that you want us to, but we just need to know that there are allies out there. And so I think really thinking outside of the box in terms of inclusion and how you uh, curate experiences for new and emerging communities and how you make whatever happens in our building very real for these different types of communities, that's how long-term business is created. We don't do it for the business, we really do it for the culture and to make sure that um, the Atlanta Hawks brand is something that resonates whether we're on the winning streak or the losing streak. 
Um, it's got to go beyond wins and losses on the court. It's got to be a brand that resonates with people so that they decide to spend an evening with us um, knowing that we may not be the victors that night. Grant, uh, tell me something about that you learned about yourself being a co-owner as opposed to being a player. That's a good question. Um, well, I, mean, I think, you know, I, I, think, I think you realize just how challenging it is um, when, when you have that responsibility. We're, we're stewards of the franchise, you know, technically to me, the fans, the city of Atlanta, this is their team, and we have a responsibility um, you know, to run it correctly. But, um, you know, as, as an athlete, I think, sometimes maybe even as a fan, you just, you think, well, if you do this, this, and this, it, it, it's easy, you know, and, and, and sometimes you have, you don't have that perspective or insight of just how hard it is. I mean, it's a, it's a tough business. It's a, it's a rewarding, it's fulfilling, it's engaging. I mean, it's everything you can imagine. Uh, and as someone who's been around sports and basketball my whole life, nothing I love more than being engaged with our basketball and our business. But it's incredibly challenging. And uh, so, uh, it's humbling in a way, and uh, and so um, so I, I, I do have a healthy sort of appreciation now, three and a half years now as, as we come in. Um, but it is encouraging knowing that um, we have great people, and uh, I feel like we have great ownership. Um, we just have a great organization, and um, you know um, our job is really to empower them help them establish a vision and then get out of the way so we don't mess things up. And, uh, but it's, it's, I think for me, I don't know if I answered your question, but um, you know, I, I, yeah, and having patience, you know, I think that's another thing. I, you know, as an athlete, you tend to be impatient. And even though you, know, you work every day, and, and sometimes, you, but as an athlete, it's immediate results. You know, you go out that night, that game, that practice, you know from possession to possession, keeping score, you know, literally and figuratively, you're keeping score. And as we sort of continue to build our business, um, you know, it's like sawing wood, you know, but it's making, it's making good decisions, it's hiring good people, empowering good people. Uh, and, and over time, you know, I think you, you start to see that and um, see the, the results. It's not as immediate necessarily as, as an athlete, but um, so anyway, that, that's an interesting sort of perspective and change for me because, you know, you're either good or you're bad on that possession and everyone knows, you know, and, uh, but it's been great. I, I love it and uh, it's been extremely rewarding and like I said, this is like family um, and, and everyone who's a part of the organization and our team, you know, I'm very proud of it. And Zinka, what does success look like? What, what do you want to see a year from now, two years from now, when it comes to the inclusion? In the Hawks, but maybe in general, even in a broader perspective in the NBA, pro sports. You know, I think success is a journey. Um, oftentimes, we get asked that question, and I think people want an immediate answer or a, an immediate change to occur. For me, I feel like we've already been on the trajectory of success because we were again in a crisis, and now we're flourishing. Now we have uh, so many different types of people in our organization that we have not traditionally brought on board as talent. Um, you look at our executive committee, we are the most diverse executive committee in the NBA. 
um, in terms of women and people of color who are at the C-suite level making business impact and change. Also within our uh, community, I think we're making a huge difference. And success looks for me like our court renovation program that we started three and a half years ago. We decided to look at the city of Atlanta and say, how can we make basketball a part of this city? Right? How can we build bridges to the community through the sport of basketball? And we recognized that there were so many courts in the city that were just unused or that just damaged and just you know, not a great and a safe place to play. And so we decided through our Hawks Foundation that we were going to put money into the community by renovating these basketball courts, making them safe havens for kids, um, making basketball relevant beyond uh, going to an NBA game because sometimes NBA games are not accessible to everyone in the community. And so we recently heard from the office of the mayor that crime is decreasing in these areas where basketball courts have been renovated because kids are, are now playing ball and doing things that are productive versus resorting to crime or doing something that is not productive. And so that is success to me. Um, that is how we utilize our brand. That's how we utilize inclusion to bring folks together. We actually started a forum uh, four years ago called Mosaic, and Grant happened to be one of our inaugural speakers. But Mosaic stands for Model of Shaping Atlanta through Inclusive Conversations. We recognized that conversations around diversity and inclusion needed to happen and needed to be open to the public for us to start to uncover and unravel some of these hard conversations that were plaguing our city, like race and gender in sports, or how we utilize sports as a catalyst for social action. How do we understand what disruption looks like, and how do we become allies? All of these conversations um, have been taking place, and, and for me, success looks like us creating the unity game out of one of these conversations, and recognizing that if we leverage our brand and utilize other NBA brands in the same way, like the Cleveland Cats when we played them and did this unity game, now we're starting to make movement in, the, in terms of race relations and ageism and sexism and all of these other isms that play this. I don't think the Atlanta Hawks can, can cure all of these ills, but I certainly think that because our platform of sports is unique, we're one of those industries where you can pretty much get together a very unique, diverse group of people all in the same room, cheering and rooting for the same thing. You don't see that often. You know, I look around the arena sometimes at a game and I'm like, wow, look at this. You've got an array of colors. You've got black, white, Hispanic, Asian, old, young. Um, you have people with some physical limitations. You've got um, gay, straight. I mean, the list goes on and they're all cheering and rooting. And so if we can utilize our platform and use all of that energy towards coming up with solutions for some of these ills and move the needle, that's success. Um, not boiling the ocean. The ocean is a big body of water. It will never boil, right? And so I don't believe the Atlanta Hawks or the NBA or any sports brand can cure all of these things, but we certainly can make a difference. And so that's, for, that's what success looks like for me. Sounds great. I've been hogging all the time asking questions. But I think uh, I think we're able to take a few questions from the from the audience. So does anybody have a question for Zinga or Grant? Don't be shy. Oh. Yeah, the guy right there, he's definitely not shy. <laughs> I have a question just based on the, the NBA, but specifically about black women. Y'all been holding this down for the longest. It's, it's been awesome. Just as a black man, I thank you so much for that. 
And I appreciate what the FDA is doing, especially what they call black women to handle things, okay? So you, you have something going and you have something uh, happening, call a black woman. She's going to handle it. And she went to spell. Even, even uh, Mark Cuban had to call a black woman to handle something. So, so what I get is that, that you, you've been handled for so long. What, what process that do you take in order to to make that that situation happen and bring us bring us to all of us. Yeah. Um, how how is that process? What, what, what do you do? You know, some of the things that you you have prepare for make that happen. Great question. And because you were the first person to ask the question, I'm going to get your business card and give you four tickets to a regular season so when I started, I love the question. When I started my job on the very first day, I remember, you know, usually when you start a brand new job, you get flowers on your desk or some type of a welcome, warm welcome. My first day was very different. You know, I started and two hours later, the head of PR said, you're going to be on the news today. So get ready because we have uh, some interest groups that are picketing in front of Phillips Arena and they want to talk to you specifically about what you're going to do to fix all of this stuff that's going on. We've got the 100 Black Men of Atlanta out there, the National Coalition of Black Women. We've got the SCLC, the Rainbow Push Coalition. They want to hear from you today on your strategy. And so I recognized in that moment and when I was faced with all of those, those different people that deserved answers, rightfully so, I said, there's no way I can do this alone. Um, and so I thought back to my time at the NFL, and I recognized that we had a diversity council that was semi-productive. Um, the reason that I don't think it was fully productive is because it was filled with people that worked at the NFL, right? So it was an internal-based uh, group of people who were putting their heads together around issues. And so I said, well, the model is right, but probably not the execution. So let me use that model and then just tweak it a little bit to make sense for this city. And so I immediately started a, a diversity council, probably within two months of my job, making the council um, have people that worked at the Atlanta Hawks and Phillips Arena because I recognized that we needed some you know, internal brain trust regarding what transpired, what was the culture like, what do we need to do to fix it. But I also needed to rely on the community. And so the other 50% of the members of the council were selected from the community directly, whether they were a sponsor or a season ticket holder or a small business owner or a clergy or an academic or um, someone who just didn't have money at all, who was unemployed but happened to be a fan of the game and, and didn't have discretionary funds to engage. We need to hear from all types of people um, across di di different demographics. And so when we became a working body, I relied heavily on them to help set the strategy for how we would do work. And so we actually worked in three work streams. And so when people say to me, well, what do you do every day? What does a day-to-day -day CDIO do? I would say three things. I focus on internal engagement, which is really all about the human capital experience. How do we find talent? Um, making sure that we're not poaching from traditional sports organizations like sports industries generally do, but looking outside of our industry at marketing, consulting, and, and, and new streams for innovative people. Um, and then once those people come into the organization, how are we creating experiences for them to reach their maximum potential? So not rolling out cookie cutter leadership programs and management programs, but figuring out like what does it take to bring out the best of each individual so that we can ultimately create high performing teams. 
Um, the second thing that I do, and the second work stream that our, our council focuses on is fan experience and external engagement. So that goes back to what happens inside of the arena. Did we make sure that tonight we curated a game experience that resonated with all of those different demographics that are in our building tonight, and not just um, really talk to one particular fan set? Um, and then in the community, making sure that we're giving back and we're putting all hands on deck and working closely um, with community service-based organizations to give back. And then lastly, what we focus on is strategic partnerships, which I define as finding companies to do business with that are not usual suspects. So easy in Atlanta to do business with Coca-Cola, Home Depot, Chick-fil-A, UPS, you know, big brands. But what about women and minority-owned and LGBT-owned businesses that can actually create value for our organization? And, and how can we make those type of opportunities come to life? So I think about building our practice facility. Uh, we partnered with H.J. Russell and Company, a black-owned uh, construction firm who did all of the project management for a 90,000-square-foot facility in Brookhaven um, that we built in conjunction with Emory Medicine, um, first of its kind in the MBA. That's huge. You know, that's groundbreaking. So, yes, my job has many different facets to it. I do a lot of different things, but what I recognized in the beginning was that I couldn't do it alone. When you're facing a public crisis and people are upset and angry, Whatever's in your head is not going to be enough to solve it. You've got to really get answers and, um, and, and really get guidance from people that understand all of these demographics that we serve. And, and so I, I believe in diversity in a true, truly holistic way. Hey, thanks a lot. The work that you guys have done has been excellent work and really commendable. What advice would you give to technology companies who are struggling with the issue of diversity today? Oh. <laughs> I just answered this one, so I just looked at Grant like, okay, oh, you want to yeah, take no, that one? Uh, you know, I think that uh, Grant and I said it best when we said it all starts from the top, right? So technology companies are just a, um, a mirror of who is running them, right? And so if technology companies are going to start to dimensionalize, we need to look at who are running these companies, how are they making decisions, um, and challenge the boards, challenge the ways that these companies are, you know, even from um, the perspective of people who are customers or end users and doing business, like, we've got to challenge the system. Um, because right now, the, the system isn't working. And, and it's oftentimes minorities and marginalized company, uh, people, excuse me, are asked, how do we fix diversity and inclusion? How do we make it better? It's like, well, we're, we're also a part of the, like, we're part of the marginalized community. Like, it's, it's really incumbent upon us to ask people at, that are at the top of these organizations that have access to the revenue and have access to the decision making, like, how do you become part of the problem, solution? Um, how do you drive this change? We know what the problems are, but we need you to utilize your voice. Um, and you, you to utilize your hands to fix this. Um, and so being in a room like this is very important. I, you know, oftentimes, you know, we speak a lot um, to a lot of different audiences, but I will say when uh, the power structure is in the room and when we have white men in the room listening to conversations surrounding diversity and inclusion and can get them to be champions of this work, that's when the, the needle will move. Good afternoon, and thank you for all you do in the grant. I've been a 
But I do have a question. As individuals or business owners, how can we find out about either current or upcoming initiatives that we can either partner or support? And I'm especially interested in the health and physical fitness space. All of these questions are like for me, right? <laughs> uh, I will say that in if you're talking about the Hawk specifically, uh, we do think about supplier diversity a lot. We do think about emerging businesses. Like I said, it's one facet of what we, we concentrate on. We try to have a very transparent process that is on our website. Um, there are a lot of opportunities, especially through this recent renovation where um, we have really been reaching out to different segments of the community to figure out who does what, what businesses are out there. Again, not just doing business with usual, usual suspects, but really asking for you to put your, uh, your bid in for business and, and be fairly evaluated for those opportunities. Uh, I think that people also in your space, because I'm assuming you're a small business uh, or tech, you know, small business owner, you also get involved with GMSDC, get involved with these organizations that um, at a national level have um, exposure and access to get you some of those contracts that you're looking for and network. I mean, I can't tell you how many nights a week I'm, I'm literally out and about just meeting people, shaking hands. There's so many free events and opportunities um, where you just need to meet one person that can make the difference, but you've got to put yourself out there recognizing that you may not have brand recognition in the beginning. You may not have those relationships, so it's got to be grassroots work. I know that you know you are a business owner, but some of this stuff is grassroots, and you've got to start um, putting yourself out there in a way so that folks know what you do bring to the table. But in terms of the transparency, I would say go on our website and, and bid, like bid for those opportunities. It's not window dressing; it's real. Um, and as you, as I just told you with the HA Wrestling Company, uh, people are actually winning those bids. Do we have to wrap it up? Do we have to wrap it up? Okay, um, this has been great. Can we give them a round of applause? <laughs> and I think uh, we're done uh, for the time being. We would want you to come back, I believe, at 1.45 for the next session. It's going to be great. It's going to be the president of Spelman. Uh, Dr. I want to make sure I say it and Gary Brantley, who is the CIO of the city of Atlanta. So come back in this room at 145. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I hate to say, she upstaged you. No, I didn't. Stop it. No, that was great. I, I gotta ask Grant questions. Oh, that'd be great. If Grant will step down that way, I can get you in here. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's my friend. There you go. I was a big fan of your dad. So I'm that old. I wasn't because he used to beat my Rams team. You want to take this off? Yeah, my friend. You guys are great, thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do we get your info or how do we? Grant, one question I had for you. You're back. You're back in the playground and you're picking your squad. You know what I'm going to ask you. Ron or Mike? I don't know. No. I was
How things going? Very well. Yeah, I caught up with Michael, man. I hadn't seen him. I know this is like a reunion thing going on. Yeah, so many. I hadn't seen more people like 10 years. I didn't even know he was still Crazy. Yeah, my man.